Good evening. Thank you, Barry, for leading singing. I was telling somebody right before service, I feel like Barry's become the Sunday night song leader here recently. Um, really appreciate that. I think sometimes it goes unnoticed, these guys who lead singing. But we have to have somebody lead the singing. And so uh, we really appreciate Barry, Jonathan, Dad sometimes leads, and many others who are leading us in worship. We really appreciate you taking the time to pick these songs out, Barry, and, and leading us. So thank you. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. As you can see on the screen here, we went over Nehemiah chapter 4 last week. And last week, if you were here, you will remember that we talked about the conflict or the opposition that the rebuilders in Jerusalem were facing from people outside of God's people. So there was uh, uh, opposition from people like Sanballat and Tobiah, the Ammonite official. These guys from the outside were, were basically trying to halt the building in Jerusalem. They didn't want to see the wall rebuilt, and so they were doing anything they could to stop it. And we looked at how Nehemiah responded to that opposition. It was a wonderful way he handled that. And that's what we looked at last week. But now what we see in Nehemiah chapter 5 is that we're seeing conflict from within the people. From, from amongst the rebuilders, from amongst God's people, there's opposition. And I think the better word here really is there's conflict amongst the rebuilders. And it, and it affects the rebuilding of the wall because there's conflict going on between the Jewish brothers. In fact, Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says this, Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now we'll get to what was happening in just a second, but clearly there's a group of Jews that are having this great outcry against their Jewish brothers. There's something going on that's stirring up conflict. And some of the rebuilders there in Jerusalem are crying out because of this conflict. And just as in Nehemiah 4, we looked at last week, Nehemiah is going to handle the conflict so well here in chapter 5. But I have to say as well, last week we said sometimes we are going to face opposition from the world. We live in a world that is increasingly uh, sinful, that is increasingly hostile, and we're going to face opposition sometimes from the outside. But also, we are going to face conflict with one another sometimes. And, and that's sad that that happens. But after all, we are still just human beings. And sometimes we make poor decisions. Sometimes we do things that hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we, we make decisions that are not the smartest decision. And it stirs up conflict within the church. And we kind of see here in, in Nehemiah 5 that there is some conflict amongst the people. And it has to be handled. Conflict between us and the church can't just go unnoticed and can't just be brushed to the side. It has to be handled. Because if, if we don't handle it, it leads to disunity. And that's the exact opposite of what, what we want. And so we're going to talk tonight about how we can handle conflict from within from amongst the, our brothers and sisters. Sometimes it happens. And again, that's unfortunate, but we can handle it when it does happen. So, first of all, I want us to notice the problem. What was going on? We just mentioned that there's a great outcry amongst some of the Jews against their Jewish brothers. Well, what was going on? Well, verses 2 through 5 of Nehemiah chapter 5 tell us what the problem was. Here's what uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 2, says. For there were those who said, we... Our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. 
There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we may, might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Did you, did you catch what's going on here? There, there's a lot going on here. I know there's a lot. But basically, three things that we want to kind of sum up this problem. Number one, in verse 2 tells us some had large families, but there wasn't enough to eat. Verse 2 tells us that. It says, there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. Some had these large families and they didn't have enough to eat. And we'll talk about why that was in just a second. Verse 3 tells us that some were mortgaging their property in order to get grain. They were, they were selling their property out to these creditors because they didn't have, they didn't have the, enough food. And then you see in uh, verses 4 and 5, some were in debt. And they were unable to pay back what they owed. And, and, and so some of the Jewish people were literally selling their children as slaves to these creditors. Their Jewish brothers were taking their sons and their daughters as, as slaves and so that's what this, this big outcry is all about, is that these some, basically the rich or the, the elite, the nobles in Jerusalem were kind of taking advantage, well not kind of, they were taking advantage of their more poor brothers and sisters who didn't have enough. And even enslaving some of them as, as basically payment for their debts. And that's kind of what's going on here. Now, why was this happening? Why was this an issue? Well, number one, there was a famine. That's what verse 3 says. There were others who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Evidently, there was a drought or something causing the crops to fail. Something causing these folks to not get enough food. And so there's a famine, and that's what's, what's kind of hindering uh, some of these people from getting enough grain, getting enough food. And so they're having to sell their property, all right, to, to be able to just get food. Number two, there were too many taxes. Verse four says, also there were those who said, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. They're having to borrow money just so they, they can pay the taxes of the king. Now, at this time, King Artaxerxes of Persia was the ruler of the known world. And even, the, even though the Jews were able to go back home to Jerusalem and rebuild, they still were subject to the taxes of the king. They, they weren't just free from these taxes, so they still had to pay. And some of these people were having to borrow money to just even cover these taxes. And then finally, verse 5, there was a high and inappropriate interest rate. These creditors who were you know, giving these people these, these monies to pay the taxes and giving these people food to eat, they're... They're basically taking their property, and then they're taking their children as slaves. And so you see there's this big outcry from these people that, hey, we're, we're running out of stuff now. Like, we've, we've literally given away our property, and now we're giving away our children because we just don't have enough, and, and we have all these taxes. So there's a big issue within Jerusalem, and it's a, it's a mess. It's a big mess here. Now, I want us to, before we look into Nehemiah's response. Note two things very quickly. Number one, the, the building of the wall came to a halt because of this. 
It's never mentioned in this chapter that they are building the wall. So the conflict is leading to a a halt in the progress of rebuilding this wall. Here's the thing. When conflict ensues amongst us, sometimes we start focusing on these these problems instead of getting to work. And and that's what, obviously, they had to take a pause to, to handle what was going on with this conflict. And so we, we have to, when we have these conflicts, we have to settle them quickly so we can get back to work for the Lord. Secondly, and this is just a side note, I don't want to dive too much into this, but these issues are about money, about, about money and possessions. And we've got to be very careful with how we use our money and, how, and, and if, if we have a lot, you know, it, we, we can't take advantage of others, of course, but there's a lot of money issues here going on within this chapter and and I think uh, if we had more time we could talk about like how to better use our money for God and and how to better put it to use for his work and and things of that nature but that is uh, one thing that the wealthy people are taking taking advantage of these poorer people and so there's a lot of issues with money and it just seems like issues thousands of years ago are still uh, issues today with with money and interest and debt and all types of stuff still relevant today. Um, so anyways, uh, that's kind of what the problem is. These, uh, these more wealthy Jews are taking advantage of their more poor, poorer brothers, Jewish brothers, and that's kind of what's going on. Now, we, what we want to note now is Nehemiah's response. What did Nehemiah do? How did he handle all of this? Well, number one, Nehemiah was angry. This is verse six, Nehemiah five, verse six, just says this, Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. When Nehemiah had heard the outcry of the poorer Jewish brothers against their wealthy brothers, he's angry. He's he's outraged at at what's going on here. Now, the question is, why was Nehemiah so angry? Well, of course, they're taking advantage of their brothers. But if you know the Old Testament law, they were literally breaking the very laws that God had given them. Literally, the exact, like, direct commands that God said, do not do this, they were doing it. Look at a couple of passages real quick. Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not, not charge him interest. They were literally doing this very thing that God said not to do. Charging these people ridiculous interest, taking their children as slaves and And mortgaging, like taking the properties, things like that. God said not to do that amongst my people. Don't do that. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest. So that the Lord your God may bless you and all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. He's saying, hey, amongst your brothers, you don't do this type of thing. If a foreigner comes in, yeah, you can charge him interest, but not amongst my people. And we're going to be different. You're going to be different and treat each other equally. One more passage, Leviticus 25, verses 39 to 40 says this. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of jubilee. So he's saying, listen, if there's somebody poor, 
and they want to sell themselves to you, hey, you, you don't treat them like a slave. You treat them as a hired hand. And you let them go at the year of Jubilee. They weren't to serve forever. You had to let them go at the year of Jubilee. And so they're directly breaking some commands that God had said, don't do this. And that's why Nehemiah is so angry. Because they are directly breaking God's commands. They're taking advantage of one another. And he's so upset about this. You know, some people might think, you know, maybe he should have shown compassion, you know, and, and been a little bit, you know, you know, more kind about this and not gotten angry. Well, folks, sometimes anger is the right response. There is such thing as righteous anger. I think we can all remember a time when Jesus cleansed the temple and he was angry at the people who were turning the temple into a den of robbers and thieves. There is such thing as righteous anger. And we're going to see in a minute, Nehemiah didn't just, wasn't just rude to these people and take it out, his anger out on people. But he was angry at the sin at which they were committing. So for us, when we see sin within our midst, what's our response? Do we just let it, oh, well, that person's in, you know, involved in that type of situation. That's their problem. Let's just you know, let it go. Or when we see sin, period, are we just like, well, that's just part of the world now? Or are we truly, genuinely angry at the state of, of our world? of people sinning and giving in to sin. Sin is nothing to trifle with. And I think, unfortunately, we take it a little bit too lightly sometimes. Sin is a big deal. The, the wages of sin is death. And breaking God's commandments is nothing to just bat an eye at. And so Nehemiah, when he sees this, he's angry. He's angry that, he, that the people have disobeyed God's commands. Do we get angry when, when we see sin? Or is it just something that's like, oh, well, it happens, you know, it just, it's just part of it. It's part of our nature. I think we need to have a, a, a harder response to sin. Again, not to take it, not to take things out on people, because you'll see how Nehemiah handles it from here. But I think the initial response can be, man, this, is, this should not be happening. Sin cannot be tolerated. And I think that's kind of where Nehemiah is. He's upset because people are sinning, and that's not supposed to happen. And so he's angry about it. So that's the first thing. Secondly, and I love this, Nehemiah consulted with himself. This is just the first part of verse 7. It literally just says, I consulted with myself. The idea here is that Nehemiah gave himself advice. You know, he like met with himself and talked himself through what was happening. So you, he's angry with the sin, but before he goes and he goes and takes it out on the people... He says, you know what, let me just take a second and think about this. Let me, let me really consider what I'm about to do here. And, and we kind of talked about this last week too, that, that Nehemiah paused and really thought about what he was going to do when he met that opposition. He does the same thing here. He consults with himself. He's angry and he could have lashed out. He could have said, you sinful people, what are you doing? What are you thinking? But he, he consults with himself and he's like, okay, how can I best handle this what's the most appropriate action I can take and again we, we talked about this a little bit last week sometimes we get so quick to to call people out or maybe maybe we we're so angry that we let our anger get the best of us and we take it out on other people but we don't need to be making rash decisions especially amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ if somebody if we have an issue with somebody or there's some type of conflict 
the best thing we can do is to consult with ourselves before we go to them or before we handle it. What's the best course of action here? What can I really do to plan out to not escalate this conflict even further? And I've seen it too many times where the conflict begins and it just escalates and anger is taken out on one another. But I think the best thing we can do is consult with ourselves and think, what's the best course of action here? And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. So after this, verse 11, uh, uh, verses 7 through 10, Nehemiah confronted those in the wrong. He then, after consulting with himself, he then met with those who were causing this issue in Jerusalem. Here's what it says in verses 7 through 10. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again I said, The thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please, let us leave off this usury. This word usury here that pops up several times in the text is a word that basically means illegally or inappropriately high uh, interest rates. You're, you're basically charging people illegally or uh, inappropriately with interest rates. And that's kind of the, the idea that we're getting here. And I actually looked up this word, and I, I believe, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first definitions I saw was deception. Um, uh, I think that's one of the words I saw, deception. And so usury here is this idea, again, of this incredibly high interest. They're charging their brothers. And so Nehemiah goes straight to the people who were causing the problems. It's the nobles and the rulers. In essence, the men who had the money, the men who were more wealthy in Jerusalem. He goes to them and he confronts them. And he confronts them with three things. Number one, they were charging interest. Number two, they were enforcing the slavery of their fellow Jews. We've looked at this. And number three, which is really interesting, they're losing their distinction as God's people. Notice what, what he says. The thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? He's saying, listen, you've got to be different. Like maybe our other peoples do this, but we're... We, we've got to be different. We're different than the rest of these people. And, and we can't keep doing this because we've already got people reproaching us. And we can't continue in these sinful practices. And so he calls them out, goes straight to the problem, straight to the people who are causing the problem, and confronts them with it. And I don't think he was rude to them. I don't think he was pushy or anything like that. But here's the application for us. When there's a conflict within the body of Christ and we have an issue with somebody, do we go to that person and talk it out with them or do we start talking behind their back? Do we confront the problem and say, hey, listen, I've noticed that this is going on in your life. I want to help you through it. Or, hey, we've had some problems. I want to fix this with you. Oftentimes, I feel like our, our first reaction when when there's somebody sin, sinning against us or there's an issue with somebody, we don't try to fix it with them. It's, it's hey, let's talk about it with somebody else. Let's start spreading rumors or let's, let's handle this in another way. But I think Nehemiah point, gives us a good lesson. Go, go 
talk to the people who are causing the issue and do it in a gentle way, but confront the sin and say, this can't keep continuing. You know, I, I think about Jesus' words. Remember in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, well, go to him in private and you tell him his fault. And if he doesn't listen, well, what do you do? You take somebody else with you, one or two others. If he doesn't listen to you, then you take him before the church. And I'll be honest, I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Um, and so I, there's a better way to handle conflicts than to just let it go or to be talking about it and, and not confronting the issue, confronting the sin. And folks, sometimes that's hard to do. That's hard to confront the sin that's going on in a brother or sister's life and saying, hey, what you're doing is not right. And it's not a way to call them out and say, hey, I'm holier than thou or I'm better than you. It's I want to help you. And I don't want you to continue in this thing that you're doing. And Nehemiah is, is doing the same thing. I don't want you to continue in this usury and taking advantage of your brothers and sisters. You can't keep doing this. It's wrong. It's a break of God's, God's commands. How do we handle that? Do we just let it go? Do we actually talk to people about it? I think Nehemiah is a really good example of confronting the issue head on in a really good way. And so that's the second thing, uh, the third thing he did was he confronted those in the wrong. And then fourthly and, and finally here, Nehemiah took steps to correct the problem. He took the steps to correct the problem. He didn't just call them out and say, hey, you guys go fix this. No, he gave them ways that they could fix it. Here's, the, here's what it says in verses 10 and 11. We, we've already read these. But he says, please, let us leave off this usury. Please, Give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Again, he could have, he could have just left it by confronting them and saying, hey, you guys got to stop doing this. But he keeps going on. He says, this very day, this very day, you're going to give back everything that you've taken, everything that's going on. It can't continue. It's got to stop right now. It's got to stop this very day. Give everything back. Leave off this usury. Don't keep charging these interest rates. We're going to do this right here, right now. And then he continues on. Look at verses uh, 12 through 13. Then they said, we will give it back and will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Nehemiah went so far as to make these guys take an oath, like make a public confession. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to we're going to give everything back. We're not going to charge these high interest rates anymore or take our brothers as slaves. We're not going to do this. He made them take an oath. And further, he shakes out his garment and says, hey, if you don't keep this promise, you're going to be shaken out from everything you've got. You're going to be punished. And everybody responds favorably. But Nehemiah, I just love this, that Nehemiah doesn't just say, hey, you go fix the issue yourself. He says, no, we're going to do it right here, right now. And so he makes a plan and tries to help these guys overcome this issue. And again, 
I think some good lessons we can learn here. When sin is found out, it must be stopped immediately. There's no time to say, hey, continue in it for a couple more weeks and then we'll maybe work on this. No, we've got to stop it. Sin has to be dealt with immediately. And sometimes there needs to be a public confession. And that's why we allow there to be a, a, uh, an invitation every single sermon in case somebody does want to come forward and say, I've messed up and I want to fix this. And I want to, I promise, I want to make a promise to God to be better and I want, to, I want you to pray for me. And listen, the invitation's always open, by the way. It's not just confined to these moments here when we give a lesson. We can come forward and make a public confession at any time. Uh, but I, I just, I love what Nehemiah does here. He doesn't allow the problem to continue. He took the steps necessary to make sure it stopped. And the people, they responded favorably to it. And they realized, you know what? You're right. We need to stop this. And I wonder if we approached our problems, our conflicts, like Nehemiah did, how people would respond. No doubt, some people may respond negatively. But I think in most situations, if we're gentle and we're kind and we confront the problem like it needs to be confronted, I think people will respond in a, in a favorable way. And, and of course, we need to continue praying. In the rest of the chapter, and we're, we won't talk about this, but I will read it here. It won't be on the screen. But in the rest of the chapter, Nehemiah is basically lifted up as an example opposed to these um, rulers. He's a complete opposite of what these guys had been doing by, you know, charging these interest rates. Nehemiah has been doing the exact opposite of them. Look what it says if you have your Bibles. Again, these won't be on the screen. In verses 14 to the end of the chapter, it says, Moreover, from that day I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six chosen sheep. Also birds were prepared for me, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance, because the servitude was heavy on this people. Remember me, O oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. See, again, Nehemiah is heralded as an example. He was the governor, and the governors who had came before him were domineering over the people and were, were basically taking advantage of the people. And Nehemiah says, I didn't do this. I have a right to a governor's food allowance. I didn't take that allowance. I didn't domineer over the people. And, and, and he's in, in direct uh, contrast to the rulers who were basically taking advantage of their brothers. And Nehemiah didn't do that, even though he was the governor. And the text tells us, it's verse 15, because he respected God. Verse 16, because he was more focused on the wall. And verse 18, because he knew the burdens were already very heavy on the people. And so he decided, you know what? I'm not going to take advantage of this allowance that I've got. I, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to take advantage of the people like the previous governors did, because I know what they're facing now. And so Nehemiah is heralded as this 
really good example in stark contrast to the men we talked about who were causing the issue. So as we close, consider the question, how do we handle conflict with one another? How do we handle that? Have you seen conflict within the church and how people have handled that before? Did it go well? Did it not go well? Let's purpose today to handle conflict the way Nehemiah did. If we have an issue with our brothers and sisters, let's handle it the way Nehemiah did. We can become angry with the sin. We can consult with ourselves before making a rash decision. We can confront the sin head on, and then we can take the steps to help somebody overcome the problem and resolve the conflict. Last question, how would God have us to respond? How would he have us to respond to conflict amongst one another? I think we all know the answer. He wants us to resolve it so that we can be unified and continue his work. Tonight, if maybe you have, if there's something going on in your life and you want to come forward and make a public confession that you want help and that you want to overcome, we'd love for you to come forward. If you've never become a child of God and you want to be added to his family, we'd love to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit for the remission of your sins. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing. to linger charmed by the world's delight things that are higher things that are nobler these have allured my sight